things. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Claire, for those of you who don't know me. Um, and I am fortunate to serve as the Associate Minister at the Tempe Church of Christ in Tempe, Arizona. It is very cold for me here. <laughs> um, summer is coming in Tempe, so I'm very used to that heat. Um, I've been at the Tempe Church of Christ for about five years. It'll be five years in the fall. I moved there to plant a campus ministry with my coworker and friend Hannah Parmalee, and we work with students at Arizona State University. Um, yeah, so so ASU is uh, my the campus where I minister, and that's predominantly what my work entails is mentoring and caring for college students. And then, of course, I also work with the church as well. Um, so I'm very fortunate to be there. If you hear in my voice, I come from Arkansas. I am a native Arkansan. I went to Harding and graduated there in 2014. Uh, worked some in Mississippi for a while and then ended up in the desert. And it is a beautiful place. <laughs> I love it there. Wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> so that is me. Um, I asked you our questions as we began our time together today. Um, and I, I asked you those questions because this, this conversation is all about the journey of the soul. Yeah. Amen. Sorry, my, all these technology difficulties. So I'm gonna say again those questions. Why are you here? How would you describe maturity in Christ? And what do you long for in your relationship with God? And I ask those questions because that is really central to this conversation that we're going to have today about the journey of the soul, or what I like to call the landscapes of the soul. So I want, I want to let you know what we're doing today is that we, I'm offering to you a model it is a model that I, I hope will be helpful to you, useful to you in articulating um, how the soul grows. So how, how we develop into more mature Christians. How do we grow as followers of Jesus? And we know that when we look at scripture, we see clearly that disciples of Jesus grow, right? They change over time. You can look at examples of Peter or Paul, and we can we can clearly see that they are not static beings, right? Their relationship with God moves and changes and is articulated in new ways. Um, the older that they become, but also um, the new experiences that they have with God. And so it's very clear that our souls and our relationship with God changes. And let me, let me just point out that when I say soul, um, I don't mean that we necessarily possess this, um, what's the word? I don't mean that in an independent kind of way, I should say. Like our soul is not just myself, okay? Um, my soul is in its essence and at its core my relationship with God. So our truest identity is a relationship. It is who we are in relationship to God. That is who we are. So sometimes when I think about that, I think about how I am becoming more me when I become more we, when I become more connected and close to God. And so this model that we're going to be talking about today, this kind of picture and metaphor 
for how our relationship with God grows is all about that. It's about growing more into we, more intimacy, more connection, closer, uh, more interwoven so that where I end and God begins, we cannot differentiate that, right? That is the goal. That is the, the aligning of wills between us and God. That is Christ-likeness. So that is what we're doing today. We are articulating a model with its aim being intimacy, its aim being connection. And I want to say that um, I think it's really helpful that we use models to describe growth in different ways, that we use models to describe um, maybe, you know, you think about things like the Enneagram, right? We have that. That is a model, right? It's a way to articulate um, personality. It's a way to articulate being in the world. We have Myers-Briggs. So we have these different models that we've created. Many Christians and followers of Jesus have created different models to describe um, how we grow in Christ. Um, and so I think it's important that we have models for four reasons, okay? So I just want to throw these out to you as we begin. Before I share with you the model, I want to throw at you why we're even doing this or why I think it's significant. Um, so I think models are important because they give us an image. They give us an image of invita invitation, okay? It's really important that we have pictures, right, in our minds, that we have metaphors, that we have story, right, that helps us to grasp um, concepts, right? So I think having, having an image of this invitation that God's inviting us into is so helpful. Because if we don't have that image, then we're never going to believe that there's anything more, right? We're never going to believe um, that there's something more than what we're experiencing right now if we can't imagine it, right? So that's why I think it's really important. It's an image of invitation. I also think models are very important because they offer communal wisdom, right? This model is born from communal wisdom. It's born from a Christian that lived in the 16th century, and her model has been, um, has been refined and has been articulated in different ways throughout the centuries of Christians trying to articulate how do we grow closer to God. Um, so we have a beautiful glimpse of the community of believers throughout our history um, when we think about models, when we think of how other Christians have wrestled with this idea. So communal wisdom. Also, uh, the reason I love this model um, is because of its relational focus. So at its heart is relationship. And again, that's where we go back to our identity is who we and God are together as one. And so this model is all about that. The focus is deeper intimacy with God. So if you get nothing out of this class today, <laughs> what I want you to hold on to is that there is always more to be found in God. There is always a closer, more intimate relationship to be had with God. Yeah, that's what you need to know. That's it. So <laughs> we're done. <laughs> um, so... Please remember that, and that, that at its core is what this model is articulating, is there is always more. Go, seek, discover, pursue. Um, I also share this model because I think it offers uh, a good resource for pastoral care. 
And that's part of why I've been creating it and messing with it for a while, um, is because I'm trying to learn how it can um, work in a context of college students, you know, and also adults. I mean, also all adults, college students are adults, but they would hate me for mistaking that. But, <laughs> um, but I'm trying to um, craft something that's helpful for all people um, in terms of helping um, the people I minister to, um, to, to serve as a tool for them in order that they can kind of begin to articulate where they are in their journey with God and also what God is inviting them into, you know, how God is inviting them into more. So this tool just helps, can help, again, articulate that, give a picture of that. And I love to, to sit down with students and have this in my mind. I don't always bring it forward and say, okay, let's look at the different stages of the journey. Um, but I have it in my mind and I find it really helpful, um, especially when, when someone is kind of struggling maybe in where they are in their season with God. Um, and they're questioning, um, you know, is there more to life with God than this? Um, you know, I'm struggling in kind of these kind of particular ways. And, and it's really been helpful tool to say, okay, maybe this is what God is inviting you into. Or maybe this could really help you in this particular stage um, because of the particular struggles that seem to be present in it. Okay. So does that make sense to everybody? If it doesn't, don't tell me. I won't, I won't stop. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so I want to give you um, a word of caution before we get into the model. Um, and that is all models are flawed. This is not perfect by any means. <laughs> um, it is not perfect. It will not be reflective of every situation <laughs> because every person is unique and your journey with God is unique. So models are flawed but helpful, right? Helpful to some degree. So please uh, come into this with just, I pray you and God can have it and then take what you need and release what you don't, okay? Um, that's my goal. So remember that it will be flawed, it will be incomplete, and it will always be that way because we are human beings creating these things with God, right? Um, so please take that in mind. Um, also, be cautious in the sense of, of applying this to other people. You know, be, be very cautious in that. You know, I think about things like um, the Enneagram and how frustrating it can be when someone's like, you are like this number and everything you do is like this number. <laughs> That's so frustrating. Um, and it, it doesn't really have a listening posture attached to it, right? So this model is also all about listening. It's about listening to someone really well so you can help them think about these questions and maybe decide where they might be. Let, let them decide where they might be. Okay, don't prescribe to them like you are this and you are, this is what you're dealing with. That's very unhelpful. <laughs> um, so those are my words of caution. Uh, so to begin, I want to tell you about the person who is the, um, the, the, the founder of this model that we're going to be working out of and her name is Teresa Saint Teresa of Avila and Teresa was a Spanish Carmelite nun of the 16th century and I love how her Wikipedia page describes her whoever wrote this was just very concise 
Um, they say she is a Carmelite nun, prominent Spanish mystic, religious reformer, author, theologian of the contemplative life, and of mental prayer, who earned the rare distinction of being declared a doctor of the church. Active during the Catholic Reformation, she reformed the Carmelite orders of both men and women. So that is St. Teresa. She is a firecracker, man. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, her contemporary friend and mentee was St. John of the Cross, who you might be more familiar with than Teresa. And there's so much that could be said about her. Um, she was an abbess, um, kind of ran, again, this order of Carmelite nuns. Um, but I believe that what we really need to do is just glimpse her heart momentarily. So I, I want to read to you some of the prayers that she wrote, um, just so you can see kind of how she reflected on God. Um, these are just some of her more um, famous prayers that we have. She says, Lord, grant that I may always allow myself to be guided by you. Always follow your plans and perfectly accomplish your holy will. Grant that in all things great and small, today and all the days of my life, I may do whatever you require of me. Help me respond to the slightest prompting of your grace so that I may be your trustworthy instrument for your honor. May your will be done in time and in eternity by me, in me and through me. Amen. Another prayer I love, she says, Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things will pass away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Amen. So that really represents Teresa. She is all in with God. She is deeply entrenched in the love of God. And that is what her model is all about. So she wrote um, The Interior Castle, is what it's called, towards the end of her life in 1577. It was published in 1588. And The Interior Castle is her picture of the journey of the soul into deeper intimacy with God. And again, it's inspired countless others throughout the century. I first encountered her model in 2000, around 2018, 2019, through my coworker and friend Hannah Parmalee. And since that time, Hannah and I have been crafting this modern version, our take on Teresa's interior castle or mansions is what she calls them, um, of the soul. Um, and we've been using Teresa and other authors to inform us. And I have some of their works here that um, you can come and look at um, after class that have really informed our work. So that's Teresa. And again, her model is all about intimacy. So let's get into it um there i will preface this with there is so much that i could say about each of these <laughs> so i am giving you a snapshot a very quick snapshot um but i'll have my email at the end of this and i i want to be a resource to you so please remember as we're going through this like hey Claire can give me so much more information on all of these. <laughs> yeah, I literally have so much more information. <laughs> um, so please just keep that in mind. We're just going to go through a quick snapshot. Okay. 
So let me give you a, a very quick overview. Now, Teresa refers to the seven mansions is what she calls them again. These are uh, seven different, um, they're kind of described as rooms, spaces to inhabit, um, and they are within this interior castle. So the interior castle is our inner, our inner world, our inner life. Um, and so what we have done, Hannah and I, is we have kind of updated that metaphor um, a little bit, and we use this idea of landscapes. So the journey of the soul is comprised of six landscapes. So Teresa has seven, uh, seven mansions. Uh, we take the last two, six and seven, and kind of combine them because the last two are the most um, mystical <laughs> of the other mansions in the sense that they, they're difficult to define. So the last two are hard to articulate um, because they're very uh, experiential with God. Um, oftentimes, it's even questioned if seven, Mansion 7, is even attainable, per se, in our lifetime. So there's this some question that maybe Mansion 7, you can only really f experience um, in eternity with God. Okay. But some have said that they, they've kind of gone into it in different states in their human, you know, our human life. So, so that's why we put six and seven together because they're, yeah, they're just harder to define, harder to articulate. And a lot of people don't stay in seven or six uh, very, they don't live there um, for very long in their earthly, our earthly life. Um, so we have six landscapes um, and these landscapes just represent um, overall a general pattern of growth so that's what i want to make sure you understand as well is that um these landscapes are designed in a way where you do move through them they do grow into each other that's what i'm trying to say so you do you will kind of naturally do one and then the next and then the next right that's why we i like to describe it as a journey as well because it's this idea of we move from the city and then we go on the highway, and then we get to the village, right? So it's a very clear um, movement, right? So our souls kind of grow in relationship with God in, in, a, in a succinct way in terms of the mansions. But I also want you to know that there's also a lot of fluidity within the model as well, okay? And that's also why I like this image of landscapes, of places, of cities, because, you know, you visit different cities, right? You can live in one place, so you can live in the city, but you can visit um, the mountains, right? So, so there's a lot of fluidity in this model as well. So even if you, so as you grow in relationship with God, you might hang out in three, um, which is what I call the village. So you might take up residence in the village. You live there, that's where you are, but you have frequent trips back to the highway, which is, which would be mentioned too. So you're in Mansion 3, the village, but you go back to the highway some. Um, and so that's just, that's just what I want to make sure you know before we get into it. There's some fluidity, okay? And we know that that's true of our relationship with God, right? <laughs> There's a lot of change. There's a lot of fluidity. Different circumstances bring up new things. So just be aware of that. Um, and I also want you to know about these landscapes, this journey of the soul, is that there um, is this intertwining of our work and God's work, 
Okay, so remember that. Um, you working yourself, working hard, won't increase your spiritual maturity. <laughs> um, there's nothing that we can do of ourselves to, to work hard enough to deepen our life with God. That's not what it's about, right? This is a relationship. We can't, we can't just, you know, work so hard and become mature and take on the things of Christ um, of our own effort, okay? So that's important to know as well that this journey is a relationship between you and God. So, so you are working, you are leaning in, but God is also working more. <laughs> God is working more to bring about transformation, to bring about new life in you. So remember that. And we see that um, there's kind of a distinction between the first three landscapes and the next three landscapes, okay? And there's a pretty big break there in distinction because the later landscapes are the more we become mature in Christ, the more that it is God doing work in us. It is God inviting us into deeper life. And it's less about us, um, about our own efforts, okay? So that's just an overall view of that. So let's get into it then, shall we? I've talked a lot. Let's get into it. Okay. Landscape number one is the city. Okay? The city. Landscape number one is the city. And what I'm going to do is I have four categories for each landscape. The beauty that the soul encounters, the dangers experienced by the soul, the care of the soul. So this is, for instance, things that can help this soul to flourish in this season, and then the invitation into more intimacy. So this is God's invitation in that, in that landscape into more, into deeper relationship. So these are the four categories that I'm just going to briefly touch on for each one, okay? So the city is oftentimes described, it is this, this if you think about a new Christian, right? If you think about someone who has just found relationship with Jesus. That is often how we would picture this stage, right? The city. Um, I like to think about it with this image of like Las Vegas, honestly. <laughs> it is this big, big, vibrant, exciting, there are so many people, there are so many new things. Like imagine that. That is what um, this first landscape with God is like. So it is, it is, it is a party. It is so exciting. <laughs> um, the beauty in this landscape is that part of us has chosen to embrace the love of God. And that is beautiful. That is beautiful. And I say part of us because, um, because there is this, this is still a stage where we're still also clinging in so many ways to our old lives, right? And we know this from from being new believers in Jesus, right? We know that, that there can be so much clinging to what was old, but part of us has chosen the love of God and has chosen to lean in. The love of God is palpable in this stage. We experience God's love emotively in our bodies, often for the first time. 
And for the first time, we're also aware that we have been living in a way that, that isn't, isn't the best, that isn't the good, that isn't the wholest that we could live. And we're aware of that for the first time in this stage. Um, we, see, we receive a vision for how our lives can be transformed. And we want that and we crave that. Uh, community offers us essential space to share with others about our experiences with God. Um, it's necessary for us to begin articulating our image of God in community um, because this is often the stage where we're developing that. We're developing um, a more clear understanding of who God is, right? Maybe we've received that from different sources throughout our life, but for the first time we're able to really uh, begin to articulate that in community. And that image of God is essential, especially as we're in this early stages. Um, our new life with God can inspire the community, right? That is something that's so beautiful about this stage is that people in this stage inspire the community to greater zeal and love of God. And we know that from experiencing new followers of Jesus be in our midst, right? They are, they are beautiful and exciting to be around. And they help remind us of when we first fell in love with God, right? So they're so beautiful to, to have members of the community who are in the city. Um, the danger of being in this landscape is distraction. So I said again that part of us has learned to love God, right? Um, but there's also still this, this entrenched connection to the world around us. There's this entrenched connection and, and greater intimacy with the things that we once occupied us, right? The, the harmful things or, or just the things that weren't of God, right? That once occupied us. And so distraction is a key danger. We can be very easily distracted from per continuing our pursuit of life with God. Okay. Um, so remember that distraction. Um, we can often crave the untempered pleasures life. So we crave that. We crave what is familiar to us. Um, and so in the face of this newness and new life with God, we can really easily be distracted. Um, the care. So how do we care or how it, for souls in this stage or how do they um, care for themselves in this stage? So some really important key things are self-knowledge. That's very important in this stage is to grow in self-knowledge and self-awareness. So to grow in your ability to understand, okay, what are the things that are distracting me from life with God, right? Where are the places where um, I once lived and God is not there, you know? So that's really important in this, in this stage. And it's really just the beginnings of that knowledge and awareness, okay? So it's not until the next stage that we begin to really push against um, those old ways of being and live into the new. But in this stage, it's really important that we start to become aware of that, okay? Um, another really important thing is humility. Humility. So being in this new stage, everything is new, everything is bright, and you're just craving, you know, learning and growing in God. But it's so important to, to remain humble, and that humility allows you to um, accept the wisdom of the community, right? The wisdom of the community and of spiritual friends who are mature is so important in this stage. 
Um, so humility is really essential. Humility is also a critical virtue in all of them. So remember that. <laughs> um, and the more I feel like I grow in Christ and, and live in community, I'm like, wow. Yeah, we all need humility. <laughs> like it's, yeah. Um, gratitude is also very important in this stage because we are acutely aware of the goodness of God for the first time. And so it's really important that we articulate that, that we express it. Um, and again, that's a way that we bless the community as we express gratitude. Um, a practice that is very, very helpful in this stage is simple prayer. Because remember, this is the time where you're first learning to communicate with God. And simple prayer is just this practice of just very plainly just speaking with God. It's, it's, there's, no, there's no frills. There's no, you know, oh, it's got to sound a certain way or be a certain way. It's just the practice of speaking to God from a place of the heart. Um, so that is a really important practice in this stage as people are first beginning that connection with God and that relationship with God. So that is the stage number one. It's the city, the city. And then from the city, we move to this kind of place of transition. So you'll notice that in the landscapes that there are sort of places where we, hubs where we kind of live, and then there are transition spheres. Um, and that's just reflective of how the stage is, okay? Um, so the desert highway is next. So you're in Las Vegas, and then you get on the highway. <laughs> um, those long, also I just, you know, love integrating an eagle song into this. <laughs> um, so that's also owed to my father. Um, so you get on this dark desert highway, <laughs> and... Um, the highway is the next landscape of the soul. And the beauty of this stage is we begin to recognize God's voice communicating with us, communicating to us in particular. And we are willing to engage with God in a battle for our souls. Okay, so stage two, the desert highway can be a dark place. Um, it is a transition time where we are really in this tug of war. We've increased in self-awareness to discern where God is and where God is not in our lives. And we find ourselves in, in a battle um, between our old lives, our new lives, life with God, these habits that really have just bound themselves to us that can be harmful and hurtful so this stage is just this kind of that's why i like to describe it as a highway because you're kind of back and forth you're you're going you know you're leaning in and going somewhere new but oh that that old way of being just pulls me back it pulls me back um so that's what this stage is really about um the danger of this stage is shame and when i say shame i don't mean like healthy shame and guilt that help move us into a place of new life and transformation. Um, I mean shame that tells us we are unworthy, that tells us we will never be enough, that tells us that we will never find new life, that tells us that we will always be a failure. That kind of shame is incredibly dangerous for this stage, especially because, again, this stage, you are, you are fighting for your soul. And, when, and oftentimes when you express that in community, when, you, when you're vulnerable and you express what you need to do, um, but oftentimes if you're met with someone in community that says, oh my gosh, like you're just so awful, <laughs> you know, how, why are you doing this? Um, that, can, that can just breed shame in us um, that will keep us 
from leaning into the hard, that hard labor of, of deepening our life with God. Okay. So shame, shame uh, that's, that's from external sources and also shame within ourselves can keep us from seeking the beauty that God is offering us and the real transformation that God is offering us. Uh, the care for the soul in this stage are rhythms of rest and Sabbath. Because this is a, again, this is a fight. And it takes a lot of work in this stage to grow into deeper life with God. So rest and Sabbath are crucial. Sleep, the spiritual practice of sleep is essential <laughs> um, in this stage. Um, some other practices I think are really important in this stage, especially when you think about prayer, is the examine. Um, so help, it helps you to combat that shame by reflecting on your experiences of the day with God. Okay, and I think that's really important for the soul who's in this really tumultuous time. Um, study of scripture is also very important in this time. Taking to heart the words of scripture and the encouragement and the strength that it can give you to live into this life. Um, the invitation from God in this stage is come and become the person that God sees you to be. So come and become who God sees you to be, which is beloved, a child of God, fully, fully a child of God. That is the invitation from God into greater intimacy. So once you have traversed this desert highway, um, you come to a village. It's another, it's another dwelling place, right? Um, but it's not like the city. It's a little chiller. It's more calm, you know, <laughs> a little quieter, a little more intimate, right? So you come to the village. Um, the beauty of the village is that our experience has taught us that the ways of God are good and beautiful and worthwhile. We are devoted in service to God. So when we live in the village, man, we're all in. You know, we've gone through this season where we've, we've really uh, struggled with our old selves and we've, we've, um, we've come through that. We were in a place where kind of these older habits that we used to have are just unattractive now. You know, sometimes, sometimes we can get, you know, kind of pulled back in. But, but now we've really come to this place where we're all in. We, we want to be in relationship with God. Um, we want to be in this Christian community and in this fellowship with God. Um, so we're all in, and we are servants. We are devoted servants to God and to the kingdom. Okay. Uh, the danger in this stage is pride. So in this stage, we can become so, you know, we, we are competent now. We are competent. We are confident servants of God. Right, we've wrestled and we've come through the other side. We know what it means to live as a faithful follower of Jesus. And we um, can become really wrapped up in that as our identity. So we can become wrapped up in, oh, serving God is who I am. It's what makes me me. It's what makes me good. Um, and, and that becomes what it's all about. Not deeper relationship with God, but serving God, right? Um, and that's just not enough. For that. That's not, I mean, that's not what all that God has for us. Um, but pride can really keep us in this place of, of just seeking leadership, um, seeking uh, roles to play in the community, which are good. Like, don't, 
don't hear me say that it's it's not good that we we need people in village three in our communities because they are often the stability of our communities um, in terms of they they are the ones that are consistently uh, showing up they're the people that know faithfulness well uh, they know the rhythms of life with god and our community really well they are here they are present um, and they yeah they help keep our communities thriving um, so we need people in Village 3, but pride, their own pride, can keep them from a place of vulnerability, a place of continued growth in God, okay? Um, so the care for this soul, humility again. Wow, it shows up. <laughs> humility to, to uh, kind of combat that pride. Also, dependence. It's really important that someone in this landscape learns to depend on others, to depend on others for spiritual wisdom and insight, and also to continue to, to, continue to show up and be authentic in the, sense of, in the sense of revealing their own struggles, their own shortcomings, their own questions. It's really important because often people in this landscape can feel like they can't say those things, they can't share those things anymore because they have to present as the perfect Christian. Okay, so it's really important that they're able to depend on others and show up authentically with others. Solitude is a really important practice in this stage. Our lives in this stage often become so much about serving and doing in a way that's very seen, um, in a way that's very, um, per can be performance-based if we're not careful. And so it's really important that we take moments of quiet and we learn to listen to God and we learn to be still we learn to not do <laughs> another practice I think is really important in this stage is adoration do we adore God do we spend time reflecting on our love of God do we adore God um, the invitation for this stage from God is will you follow me because you love me Will you desire my way over your own, no matter what it cost? That's the invitation for this stage. Will you follow me because you love me? Or do you follow me because you now have a place in the community? Because you now have leadership in the community? Because people admire you? Because you get a lot of value out of doing things. Is that why you follow me? Or do you follow me because you love me? And could you give up all those things? Yeah, that's, that's the, the great invitation for three. The, the, the city, or the village, the village. And now I think it's really important to pause for a moment because this is another thing. I'm out of time almost also, and I haven't even gotten through all of them. Darn. Um, anyway, I want to pause here. So Teresa makes this comment, and I found it to be true in my own experience as well. So oftentimes, Christian communities, we are very comfortable being in three. So we're very comfortable living in the village, right? We like it there. It's stable, it's predictable. Um, we, can, we can really look good as Christians in that stage, okay? Um, so oftentimes our church communities, we disciple people to that stage and then it stops it never goes farther than that 
And in my experience, being a follower of Jesus, I have lived most of my life with God in that stage as well. And I could have very easily lived my entire life in that stage. And a lot of people do. And, and don't hear me saying that that's wrong. Like that's, there's not, there's, these landscapes are not about salvation. There's not, like you don't, you don't have to get to the last one in order to be a real Christian, okay? That's not what it's about. Um, but what I want to emphasize is that life with God is more, right? God wants more for us than just being good worker bees. And thank God. <laughs> like, God wants us to be transformed. And that only happens through deeper love of God, through deeper intimacy with God. And so that's what happens between um, the village, when we're living in the village, and then we go into the mountains. So when we go into the mountains, which is our next stage, that's what, that's what that transition happens, is where we decide, um, well, we're invited by God into deeper love. We're invited by God into releasing the things that make us feel good and make us think that we're good Christians and that we've actually tied our identity to and not God himself. Um, so, so what I want to encourage you is that, yeah, God wants a deeper, more intimate relationship with you. And God wants a deeper, more intimate relationship with everyone in your circle um, and in our churches, right? If you're a leader in your church, desire that the members of your community will enter these deeper lives with God. And, not, and don't just be satisfied. Don't be satisfied with members of your church just showing up and getting stuff done. Like, that was me. I was so satisfied because I'm a two on the Enneagram and I'm like, let me do all the things. And I was so satisfied when members of our community would show up and do work for me and make events happen. And it was great, right? And I am not actually being a, a pastor and a, a friend to the members of my community if that's all that I think that their life with God is about is them doing the good churchy things and showing up. So I really want to challenge you that, that, that we, want our people, we want our people to move into the later landscapes. We want them to move into the mountains. Um, and we want them to not show up because, thank God, they're spending time in creation with Jesus. Yeah. We want them to not... To, we want them to show up when they do show up and be able to, to, to sit there and have an attentive, an attentive conversation with someone who's really struggling and listen with the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to happen. We, we don't just want members of our community to, to walk around doing it all and burn themselves out and then say, what was it even all for? It's about life with God. It's about relationship with God. Um, so, real quickly, I'm just going to give you. So, so we want people to transition into those later landscapes, and it's difficult to do. It takes a it a lot of what we find security in. We have to release. Um, they, these can be lonely places because not a lot of Christians go there. 
they don't go into these deeper realms of communion with God. Um, so we have the mountains. That's what we transition to in four. Um, I'll just read through these real quick for you guys. So the beauty of, of the mountains is we open ourselves up to God for him to enlarge our hearts for greater capacity to love him. We begin to fall in love with Jesus. The danger in the mountains is spiritual hunger. And I mean that in the sense that the things that used to fill us and satisfy us, they don't anymore. So we have to find a new ways of relating to God, new ways of being in intimate relationship with God. Um, and that spiritual hunger, though, can drive us back to what's familiar. Um, the care in the mountains is contemplative prayer, um, a curriculum of Christ-likeness, so regular rhythms with God. Um, the invitation is, do you desire me? That is God's invitation in the mountains. Do you desire me? Um, the next landscape is the cabin. So we move from the village to the mountains, and then we have our own little cabin up there. Um, the beauty in the cabin is we enter direct relationship with God in ways we have never before experienced, and we are consumed with desire to be with him more. The danger in the cabin can be heartbreak. Um, when you're in the cabin, you have learned more of the heart of God. And the heart of God mourns and suffers with others, right? And that can be incredibly difficult to experience that with God. But that's what God invites you into is the invitation of God in the cabin is, will you suffer with me? Will you experience the world as I experience the world? Um, will you mourn and grieve? The care for the soul in the cabin is reorientation. So you're reorienting your life completely around how does God see the world. Um, you also need resolve in this stage because it can be a really difficult time as you're experiencing the suffering of God. Uh, spiritual friendship is really essential, in, in, especially in these later, in all stages, but especially here because you can often feel very isolated in these later stages. Um, intercessory prayer is an incredible practice for this stage as well because these individuals who live in the cabin, they have an acute awareness, again, of, of God's presence and nearness, and they can hear God very clearly. So for one of them to intercede with you is a gift, is a deep gift. So look for those people <laughs> and then become one of those people. <laughs> um, and then the final landscape is what I call the garden. And I like to call it the garden because it's this picture of, of the garden in Genesis. It's this oneness with God. It is this God walking with you. Um, the beauty of the garden is we become full of light because our identity, security, significance, and approval reside in God alone. Um, the danger in the garden is isolation. Um, because, again, it can be difficult to find people who can understand that realm with you and who can, who can minister to you in that. Um, and also, often what happens is that other Christians become very wary of people in these later stages, too. Because they don't look like the good Christian, right? They look weird. 
they're 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 out there you know yeah they're out there doing something in the woods and i don't understand it so um so so it can be very isolating um and low it can feel lonely um but th- that's also where I think our communities need to become places that foster this, right? So we can we can celebrate that gift of having someone in our community who's in these later um, landscapes. That is a gift. Um, and uh, the care for this stage is cooperation and community. So learning how to take what you're experiencing with God and offer that to the community, right? Um, spiritual rhythms again this just consistent life with God is really important and service again is very important in the stage too so not becoming so isolated because of your deep intimacy with God that you forget to be a part of the whole Um, and the invitation for God is come and experience transforming union yeah Um, so we are out of time Um, I again am more than willing to share with you I have a lot more better expanded resources um, that I am more than willing to offer to you. I'm also more than willing if you'd like to sit down and talk about these and we could kind of think about, you know, where you might be or where you might find yourself and some questions you have. I would love to do that as well. Um, Yeah. And I also have books up here. These books have informed me. Um, Some of them are more modern translations of Teresa's Interior Castle, The Mansions of the Heart. I highly recommend um, as well, and there's even a children's book. Um, so please take a look at those um, as resources. Yes. Um, all right, on the board. 